Hello and welcome to another Dawncast podcast. Uh, I'm Dai Lee. And I'm Kathy Ngo. And today we are really excited that I've been able to get hold of a very, very busy, busy man, uh, a very much uh, active man within the space of government relations. And he is the CEO of Multicultural New South Wales. And I have to say my boss, he probably disagree, but I'm on the board of Multicultural New South Wales and we work very closely together to on, on the issue of uh, diversity and inclusion for New South Wales. So welcome, Joseph. Thank you for sparing welcome. your time. You know. Hi, Di. Hi, Kathy. How are you? <laughs> good, good. It's very good. valuable Thank time. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I know you're a very, very busy man. Oh, stop it. Just Running around and trying to manage the multicultural community in New South Wales and making sure that people are looked after, especially in these very, you know, difficult times, isn't it? Well, it is, but it's also, it's a very challenging time. There's no doubt about it, but it's also presenting a lot of opportunities, Di, as you know, um, connecting with multicultural communities. We're from 305 different ancestries in New South Wales, speak 225 different languages and practice 146 different religions. So um, communication right now in these incredibly challenging times is pivotal, but also being compassionate and being able to just have a lot of human conversations with all of our different community leaders, religious leaders, consular corps, our advisory board, of which you're a fantastic member of, our Ethnic Communities Council, Federation of Language Schools, all of those different players. It's really important that we reach out with them and stay connected with them. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're tricky times, but they're also incredibly inspiring times, particularly hearing some of the most incredible work and selfless work that so many of our multicultural communities are doing in terms of providing food packages, emergency relief support, uh, even the care for a lot of the elderly um, across all different communities, our religious leaders reaching out, going and doing home visits, all of that sort of stuff. It's, it's pretty inspiring. What has been some of the most challenging uh, things that you've been that, that the agency has has to face uh, in the last few months in terms yeah, of dealing well, with COVID nineteen? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Di, and I. I sort of I talk about having multicultural New South Wales in good times and that it's important for us to be able to celebrate multiculturalism and appreciate and understand difference. But I actually think we really shine in in tricky times. I think the agency's built on a, a model of supporting people in becoming more resilient. And, you know, resilience can mean a lot of different things to different people. But, you know, in in the context of so many migrant stories, I mean, yours included, it's people can overcome significant adversity to come to this country, but then it's responsi responsible both on the individuals, but also on the country to help set them up for success. So in the context of COVID, that's added a whole nother layer of, you know, confusion and complexity and uncertainty and fear. So our role right now is really important in terms of getting clear health messaging across to all the communities, but also equally importantly, letting them know that they have a voice and an advocate in our agency through to the government, uh, making sure that, you know, we tailor any government, New South Wales government response as being, you know, culturally and linguistically and religiously appropriate and all of those things as well. So uh, we've been very, as you use the word busy, I've said uh, we've been incredibly uh, hardworking through the last weeks and months. But as I also said, it's been incredibly re rewarding being able to get cut through and make sure that these communities don't feel alone and that the government stands with them. Mm. Oh, um can, can just in terms of, can you explain for those who don't understand the agency work and and what it is about? Uh, yep. Can you give us the audience a bit of an in, an explanation? 
What do you mean yeah, by agency? Uh, the, uh, multicultural agency. You know how yeah. uh, Joseph's re- referring to the multicultural agency. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be great for people to understand what it all does and how how it, how it plays, where it sits within society in our new 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 South Wales community. Yeah, and Di, this is the question that I get asked the most by everyone. So thanks for asking it. What what do we actually do? Well, the reality is we do lots of different things. We're not an agency just for migrants or for you know refugees or any of those people. We're fundamentally an agency that's about bringing social cohesion to New South Wales. And I sort of started before and touched on some of the stats in terms of how diverse we are in New South Wales. We're arguably the most diverse state on earth. And when you think about that, that comes with some incredible opportunities as organisations like Dawn and others have tapped into. If we get the ingredients of diversity and the outcome of inclusion right, then we enable innovation, we allow psychological safety, we create a space where the best and brightest minds can work together to solve, you know, complex and societal problems. Uh, If we don't get those ingredients right, then what we can do is really accelerate and focus on our differences. And that can create a disconnect. Um, It can often create breakdowns. It can create different societies that operate in silos or amongst themselves and and don't integrate and work together. Uh, And we've got some of those challenges in New South Wales, but I think that our agency combined with, you know, the incredible work of so many of the community leaders and religious leaders that we work work with helps in breaking down those things. We also provide lots of language services. So we provide languages to 146, well, 146 different languages in multicultural New South Wales. So we're roughly about two thirds of the total numbers of languages spoken in New South Wales. And that's everything from helping with translating, um, you know, government releases right through to setting up websites so that they are multilingual and all of those different things as well. I apologize, that's my- Raphael, yes. To, yeah, it is, it's young <laughs> Raphael trying to break down the door. Uh, <laughs> two-year-olds don't really care what you do. It's no. more what they're doing. So yeah, exactly. right now, he, I'm sure he would love Dawn, yeah. but right now he's not concerned about Dawn. He's more wanting me to read him stories. So I apologise. <laughs> it'll, it'll be like that BBC interview yeah. with the It will um, be. It will be like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fortunately, our door lock's nice and high, so we can't quite reach it yet. But the other day I was on one of these and he got the chair from the kitchen and wow. brought the chair from the kitchen through the lounge room, through the living room, right through to the bedroom, and then unlock the door. So, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> He's been I can in, only hope. I can in, only hope. Innovative. Um, so, so, would you say that the agency um, is really also help shape some of the policies, uh, multicultural policies, or policies for our multicultural society? We play yeah. a big role in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a really good point, and I think. Um, you only have to look at our most recent board meetings where, you know, and Di's a, a senior leader of our board where we've been talking about, um, you know, the impacts this virus has on international students. And then you saw last week the New South Wales government's $20 million response and emergency relief package for international students. You know, it was a key topic that was discussed at our board meeting and something that the agency was supporting some of our government colleagues to help address. You know, we've got lots of work to do around some of our new and emerging communities and our and our temporary migrants and all of those sorts of things. And we're considering how the agency can support a response in that space too. So, um, you know, this agency, like I said, it's a voice for everyone and it's about fundamentally bringing communities together. But it's also really important that we provide advocacy for communities that wouldn't otherwise have a seat at the table or representation within the government. Yeah, in international students, I don't know if you know, Kath, Catherine, but uh, it's a big issue because a lot yeah. of the international students uh, obviously pay to study here 
and pay a lot of money to a study. A lot of money, yeah. Um, but there's been an issue around them not benefiting at all from all of the announcement that the federal government uh, have made. But I believe we've done something. Is that right? Multiple New, New South Wales has managed to, to uh, get some kind of support for international students. Well, it's not multicultural in New South Wales. I'd love to lay credit, Di. You, know, you <laughs> and I, I both I, love I, taking but credit. I, I, but I, I, I can see your energy behind that, Joseph. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. To be honest, it's the credit of the Minister, Minister Lee, who's been a very strong champion for international students. I mean, the Minister's own background, uh, Dr Lee, is as, you know, had involvement with some of our most respected uh, educational and tertiary educational institutions in uh, New South Wales. So he gets it and he gets the space. Um, so, yeah, the New South Wales government responded last week with a $20 million stimulus to help out international students during these really tricky times. And I think um, the money is one thing and it's, it's an incredible contribution, but equally as importantly, so is helping provide advocacy for some of these students with Department of Home Affairs and connecting the consular cause with key ministers and government representatives in a federal level as well. So, you know, we had a consular corps forum the other day with some 50 consular corps in New South Wales. Um, unbelievable to think that Sydney actually in New South Wales has the second highest number of different consulates outside of, I think it's New York or wow. Washington. So oh, yeah, you know, he's a small country like Australia with yeah. 25 million and we've got such wonderful diversity across our consular corps. So yeah, there's, there's, we've played a small role in the overall um, solution, but really pleasing to see that the, the government has now provided a really, um, you know, strong response to offer their support. Um, you've been a very big advocate for DNI or diversity and inclusion for those who don't understand that initial. Um, where, where did that drive come from? It's one of my favourite questions, Di, and <laughs> I. It would almost seem like we've scripted this. We haven't, because you and I have <laughs> no. never had this conversation. But uh, and we've we've had the we've actually had the pleasure of having Di share her story with our staff. Uh, but now I guess it's my your turn to share my story with um, your my, not, your viewers, audience, your, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your audience, your audience. And, and I know with your two social media reach, this goes to tens of thousands. So I'm actually right. a little bit nervous. <laughs> um, but what what I would say is I worked at a, a organization called the Australian Football League, the AFL. And I was promoted to a really senior level of management at the age of 29, which was a, a gift on one hand. It was a real burden on the other. And so I surrounded myself with likeness. So I surrounded myself with guys who had played the game, had a great love of the game. Um, you know, we all like to have a drink. We all got on really well. We all connected with each other's families. There was so much similarities, you know, between men age between sort of 30 and 45, all had families, all very similar. And we got some amazing results. But equally, what we really quickly realised was that our results weren't sustainable because we weren't necessarily engaging with different audiences and new audiences. And if you think about the trends of the Australian population over 150 years, dating right back arguably to when the Chinese came across in the gold rush, you know, even even multicultural history of Australia, there's there was there was Chinese trading and Indonesian trade vessels trading with um, some of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities for thousands and thousands of years. So Australia is is fundamentally founded on multiculturalism, and we've got this very modern chapter since you know 18, 1820s, 1830s, 1850s with the gold rush and continued on. But what I've realised is that Australia is only going to grow if we continue to embrace migration, and so. 
roughly what we were realising at a game like the AFL was not having that difference amongst the key decision makers just led to the sameness. Mm. And I think one of the greatest inhibitors of inclusion is not having diversity. And when you talk about inclusion and you talk about the ingredients around bringing your whole self and psychological safety and allowing mistakes to happen and, and not punishing people, all of those different things, you need different voices and different life experiences sitting around the table. Yep, and absolutely. So I pretty you quickly realised that nodding? Whilst, he see me nodding? Yeah. I was nodding. So, <laughs> so, so whilst, whilst we had a couple of good years at the AFL, I actually realised that that team in its current form probably wasn't the best team to continue to lead the growth of the game and that we needed to enable difference to flourish. And so I actually stood down or stood aside from that role and took on the diversity portfolio at the AFL and worked with some incredibly senior and well-respected members of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and the multicultural communities. And I had this real richness and depth to my team that I'd never had before. And not saying that these people worked harder or differently or any of that, but there was just an incredibly different oxygen for different conversations. And that led to some really, really fulfilling programs and some ideas that have now helped, I think, AFL be one of the, you know, the absolute, um, one of the big players in the New South Wales market, whereas probably 10 or 15 years ago, it was a really small game that was a niche game played by a certain number of people. And now you see it in schools throughout New South Wales, particularly in Western, Western Sydney, Sydney. absolutely a great diversity in terms of the future player base and fan base that I think other sports would really be envious of. Mm. Uh, I, I have no doubt COVID has really impacted the game as well, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. They've started I think, training. I think all they? this, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've just started training today. That's right, Catherine. Yeah. But I think all the sports, you know, and it's not, it's not about one sport doing it better than the others. I think all of the sports have found it incredibly confronting so many staff across all sports have been stood down for this period, um, you know, and only now that we're starting to see the re-emergence of sport and the professional athletes back training. And I saw the West Tigers training at the park around the corner the other day and, you know, the NRL will reboot on the 28th of May and the AFL on the 11th of June and hopefully rugby union, soccer and all the other sports will follow, which will mm, be good. Mm. Um, so can you share with us about a bit about your upbringing? Uh of course, Joseph La Posta is a very Italian name. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so and, and up, how it has shaped your career. Yeah, so I grew up in Melbourne uh, in a suburb called Fairfield, which is very different <laughs> to the Fairfield up here, Di. Oh, really? Equally, equally as fantastic, but very different. I remember when I first came to Sydney in 2006, I walked into a shop in Oxford Street and the lady asked me where I was from and I forgot I was in a different city and I said, oh, I'm from Fairfield. She I looked like, at Looked at Shopping you. in Oxford Street and you're from Fairfield. I was like, yeah. this is weird. Clearly a bit judgy, judgy, aren't we, in Oxford Street? Um, but no, I grew up in Melbourne and I was the son of a migrant who migrated here in 1959. So my dad came on a ship from Italy. It took them four months to get from Rome to uh, the port of Melbourne. And then they got um, trained straight from the port of Melbourne up to a place called Bonagilla, which was a massive oh, yes. intern or it's migrant camp. camp. Yeah, um, okay. yeah. they spent it? months there. Oh, yeah. They worked on the Snowy Hydro scheme with his dad for a little while. They then did some fruit picking and based themselves in, I think, Pachuca or Mildura for a little while and then came back to Melbourne. They lived at the back of an Australian family's house in Fitzroy. You know, they were dirt poor, working two or three factory jobs, both parents. The kids virtually rid and raised themselves, you know. Yes, um, back in those days. Would come home. Yeah, yeah. we would have to raise ourselves. come home from work, yep. feed them and then go back to work in the restaurants or in the hospitality trade. 
you know, inevitably get the last tram home at one o'clock in the morning and then get up at six or seven and do it all again. And so um, I'm really proud of the fact that I'm the first member of my family to ever go to university mm. and pass university, which is cool. So Yay, I'm the first me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that symbolism isn't lost because you have to reflect on the sacrifices that both you, 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 your parents made in, in bringing you to this point, but also your grandparents made in terms of making the very bold move to leave a war-torn and ravaged country like Italy to come to Australia for a better life. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud of that story and that contributes to who I am today. And that's why I guess, um, you know, I love the job that I'm in because it's fundamentally about providing opportunities for people who are new to our country and knowing that if we get it right, hopefully they can become future advisory board members or directors at Dawn or, you know, CEOs <laughs> of Multicultural New South Wales. So, yeah. What's been your favourite moment? Because I think you've only been in that role for about a year or so, coming from like, you know, quite male-dominated AFL sporting to Multicultural New South Wales. What's been your favourite moment? Yeah, and it's interesting you touch on the gender because Multicultural New South Wales, 65% female. Uh, When I joined, our leadership team was only 20%. It's now 70% female. So uh, I often tell people that uh, my two bosses at work, the policy advisor and the chief of staff for the minister are both female. Uh, My advisory board members, the majority of them, I think just about a female. And my executive team is now female. So uh, I'm surrounded by intelligent, powerful women who are fiercely, uh, you know, progressive in their thinking and wouldn't let me be complacent for one minute and I love it I really enjoy the challenge of um, the difference that that creates coming from a male dominated environment like the AFL where it was you know it was more like you sort of fitted in and if you didn't fit in then you were a bit other or you're a bit different so and I'm sure the organization's changed now I haven't worked there for four or five years but um, I love it I love seeing people grow and develop and I think there's similar philosophies to what Dawn's about which is about Uh, We've got an organisation which we call a dysfunctional family where, you know, we all sort of sit around the dinner table and squabble with each other and have really real conversations. Uh, But the minute that we then go outside of our household, we're very tight. We're a very close-knit team. Uh, We care about each other incredibly. And I really enjoy being the leader of that, I guess. And I've got a great advisory board that gives me frank and fearless advice. I've got a minister who cares about our space and listens. So, yeah, my, my probably favourite moments are just about every day. I, I often say to my team that I've earned the right to walk into my office because of the fact that I was selected for the role. But every day I sit down in my chair, I have to earn the right to sit in that seat as the CEO and never never be complacent about that because um, there's a lot of other people that could do that job, my job in a heartbeat. And I've got to always keep that sort of fresh growth mindset coming in each and every day and never be complacent. Mm. So what's uh, what's ahead now? What 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 are the obviously lots uh, happening in terms of COVID nineteen? Um, yeah. You know how how are you managing that for multicultural New South Wales and the staff? Yeah, well, we're sort of we're quite lucky because we've been able to very quickly mobilise our team and get them home and get them safe. So as the virus was sort of you know becoming incredibly widespread and problematic through Italy and other parts of Europe, and we were watching that really closely. Um, the minute that the Premier sort of gave the direction to go home, if you could work from home, work from home, we're able to mobilise our workforce and get everyone on iPads with SIM cards and, you know, laptops and all of those sorts of things so they could keep doing their job. Um, now it's about how we slowly transition our team back to the office at the right time. But equally importantly, I think what this whole experience has taught us is how 
probably slow we were to embrace video technology, you know, concepts like flexible work and all of these other things. There's no need for people to feel like they have to work from 8.30 till 5 every day in the office. I think we've, it's been demonstrated. And I actually think it's been an inhibitor to inclusion and diversity in a sense because Absolutely. it's put additional pressures on, you know, parents of school-aged children or young mums or young dads who want to be more present with their kids and or, we've or, created a barrier with the office. Or, or, or even people with disability or with yeah. uh, visual impairment you know, the ability to be able to contribute perhaps to the organisation, it's now hopefully more... Um, Definitely. Yeah, oh, I can agree to that. And I think at the moment, just um, from the last couple of days and weeks, speaking to a lot of different people, um, members of diverse... Uh, sorry, um, people of colour and um, diverse communities... Uh, sorry, disabilities, um, they're actually quite feeling quite anxious about going back to work because mm. they're worried that people might... You know, once you're in the physical office space, you might they might have that kind of old mentality or mindset. Um, so fingers crossed that doesn't happen because we've all demonstrated that this new way of working can work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I hundred percent subscribe, and I think it's really important that um, platforms like this give oxygen to understanding that for a lot of people, COVID's actually created a really safe space where they can be psychologically safe and bring their true selves to their jobs and just being mindful that when we transition back into the office environment that we don't crush that you know that we sort of protect that and nurture that and understand that I think one of the great levelers in COVID has been that we can all we can all bring unique difference to our roles and that we protect that space and not just expect people to conform back into what was the old way of operating before. So, but, yeah, but I hope a, it's a real learning experience too. But, but what about the managing? I mean, it's great like for em, employ, employees to be able to say, I want to work from home. It's much more simpler. I have to manage, balance work and life. But as a manager, as a senior manager, imagine what, what are some of the challenges to manage that if, Everybody yeah. work remotely. Yeah, and not everyone yeah. is as cool as you, Joe. Yeah, that's right. Not everyone is as cool as you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks, I'm blushing. I'm ready in the chair. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's that's a really good. That's a really good thought. Um, you know, that's a really good thought topic because what if what COVID's teaching us is that leadership is actually about not so much about results, but it's about creating the right environments to enable people to flourish, you know? And, and I think as leaders, we're often torn between the what and the how. And I think what COVID's teaching us is the how is constantly changing and evolving. And if you want the what and you want the results and you want, you know, happy customers and, you know, good financials and good outcomes and good programs, well, you've got to really nurture the how. And I think the how for us is about getting the best out of everyone and I think COVID's been really tough. You know, you got to, you know, demographers talk about the trends in Australian society today. One in four of us lives at home by themselves. One in four of us now in Australia. Wow, you know, that's a lot. And, that's a and, lot. And, and, and alarmingly, the trend for the next generation is one in three. Oh, no. You know, so, yeah, yeah. So we're becoming. You better have more concept- kids. You better have more kids, Joseph. Well, I'll roommate you know, with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, the, I'll leave that one where it is. But the concept of the concept of what is a family and what is a household yeah. is constantly shifting and evolving. And so I think we need to think about the fact a lot of our staff right now are just genuinely lonely. 
And so yeah. a lot of them are actually really looking forward to coming back home. to work That's right. and having those incidental conversations. And one team member said it the other day on our all staff meeting, I just miss saying hi to people in the morning and goodbye to people at night. It is. And I almost wonder if I can't say hi and bye to people, like would anyone even notice that I wasn't here? And I thought, wow, that has really profound mental health challenges. And when you start to assess those simplicities and how important they are in your life, we've got to make sure we look after each other, particularly if we've got a society that's trending to, you know, less and less family units and more and more singular households, because Mm. The, the role of the employer and the workplace is just as much about a social interaction and human bond and is it about getting results. So, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I don't have the answer on that one, but I'm really open-minded and, and I'll keep listening to your podcast. Hopefully you can find someone far smarter than me to be able to answer it for you. I don't know. I, I just think that I find that... Uh... Uh, so many people say we can't wait till we get back to work. So even though it's interesting, people have been wanting to work from home for a long time and we, you know, organisations, government agencies have been talking about flexible work. So now COVID has provided the ability to have flexible work whereby you can work remotely, but then suddenly people say, do we want to do this every day? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's really interesting, isn't it? That, that whole yeah. conversation is kind of not turn around, whereby it's available yeah. now. You think, do I really want that? <laughs> yeah. And, and as humans, remember, our whole, um, our whole makeup and our whole oh, yeah. DNA is about belonging to a community. It's not about living in isolation. Yeah. We're not like those lions that just go off and live by themselves for years and years and then come back and mate and then go and live. We're <laughs> fundamentally communal beings that want to be a part We're of the, the chimpanzees. The chimpanzees. We're not the lions. The chimps. Okay, the chimps. <laughs> I've been watching too much David Attenborough on Netflix. Sorry. <laughs> it's interesting you say that people have missed going back to the office. I think what they miss is that social interaction, isn't it? Because the office didn't work. No. Yeah. 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 Sorry. The, uh, yes. Yeah, as, as, as Joseph the yeah. touched upon, it's yeah. about the interaction. It's about, yeah, hi, yeah. how are you? Let's catch a cup of, let's go for a cup of coffee yeah, or let's have lunch. I'm nostalgic about that <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah. I, I don't miss the other bits yeah. of it. No, not the and structure. I, and I think we've all, it's interesting because I went past the office the other day because um, I've you got miss very so much. high, high achieving board members who insist that <laughs> I still deliver. And I went past the other day and I noticed that the cafe downstairs had closed down. And I thought, oh, we've got to be really mind, yeah, and we've got to be really mindful that when when things do reopen, that not everything's going to be the same as it what it was. Yeah, and that we've all got choices to make about the businesses that we support and don't support, and that it's really incumbent on us to really think about that sort of local thinking around how we can continue to support our local restaurants and coffee shops and shops, more importantly, you know, yes, things might be 50 or 60 cents more expensive down at the local store rather than driving 20 Ks to a big shopping centre or a big, you know, commercial outlet. But without our support, they won't exist a lot of those things. Absolutely. I think uh, go go local, I would say, and go support. For me, it's also um, the Australian products, you know, we need to then start – looking at government, it's start looking at um, our in, our manufacturing industry and all of that stuff as well. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, but the most important question that Catherine and I thought we need to ask you, a very, very important question. What is it? AFL yes. or well, NRL? <laughs> oh, well, Di, as you know, I, I was know. a chair of, as you know, I was a chair of sport in New South Wales oh, yeah. and I don't have favourites. Oh, oh, so I love all sports equally. <laughs> yes, Switzerland. I love all sports equally. And, and I'll be honest, some of my favourite organisations when I was at Sport New South Wales 
riding for the disabled because of what they stood for in terms of getting young kids on horses and just seeing mm. the pure bliss of watching these children who had loved horses. But as Kathy said before, you know, disability has been an inhibitor to them being able to sort of participate in some of these sports. Seeing these kids hop on a horse for a first time and learn how to ride them. Oh, that was, and sailing with disabilities was my other favorite because so many kids can never get on boats because yeah. of some of their barriers through their physical limitations to see these sports. So um, I haven't answered your question and I've sh deliberately shirked it, Di, <laughs> but I love all sport and I can't wait for the 28th of May and I can't wait for the 11th of June and, you know, I can't wait for every other sport, netball and all the rest of them to get started. <laughs> um, any final message um, to our audience? Uh, I am on this program because I believe in what Dawn does. I think Dawn is fundamentally about challenging all of us in society to be different. Um, I love Di's energy. I love the difference that Di brings to our board meetings. I'm sure Di's exactly the same at Fairfield City Council where, you know, she says what she thinks and what she believes in and not what everyone else wants her to think and believe. And I think, you know, reflecting on Di's own personal journey and what that stands for and how that potentially sets her up to think about how to enable difference to flourish, particularly knowing your own upbringing, Di, I think that's really powerful. And I think as a society, it's really incumbent upon us to, give oxygen to those things. If we are going to make new and emerging Australians a successful story in a modern society. And, you know, when I think about when my dad came to Australia, 90% of jobs were factory jobs. Well, 90% of jobs today in an Australian society require a tertiary degree. And so we've got to think differently if we're going to enable these new and emerging communities to flourish and really contribute. And in the early years, that might be seen as being overly soft or providing, you know, support levels that, you know, previous generations of migrants or other Australians don't get. But I guarantee you if we get it right, and particularly areas like Fairfield, we can see some of the most incredible entrepreneurial, uh, intelligent people really flourish in this country and, and give it a really good fist. So um, yes to Dawn, yes to Multicultural New South Wales, and yes to anyone else that's really trying to enable the ingredients of diversity and inclusion to thrive. Thank you so much, Joseph. That's really great. I really appreciate that. Fairfield, as in Fairfield in Sydney West, not Fairfield, Fairfield Melbourne, and Sydney. Fairfield, no, <laughs> not Fairfield. Well, I love them both, but Fairfield <laughs> and Sydney West. Uh, look, thank you so much for your time, and I know it's very valuable, and I know you've been so busy working um, with you know the minister and also with the government in order to ensure that we as as, as a, a board and as an agency is doing as much as we can for the culturally diverse society in New South Wales. So really, we are both you know, grateful for your time. And, um, you know, so thank you for being thank on you. Dawncast. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Di. Take Thanks. care. Take care. Bye. 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 Thanks, Bye. everybody, for watching Dawncast. And that was Joseph LaPosta, the CEO of Multicultural New South Wales. And we're very honoured to have had him join us today. So that's it for me. I'm Di Lee. And I'm Kathy Ngo. Don't forget to subscribe to Dawncast for more awesome content like this. See ya. Bye. Bye. There. <laughs> Got go. <laughs> I'll just turn the light on.